is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. tracks there featuring honey milk isolated arrest you're on in your face on 3cr with james on today's show we speak with dr tim reed from the greens and activist neil farrow joins us 3CR. well tim reed is a medical doctor 
and the Greens health spokesperson in Victoria. He's called on state and federal governments to ease restrictions against men who have sex with men donating blood as a consequence of a recommendation from the Therapeutic Goods Administration. And I spoke with Dr. Reid earlier this week. So the TGA has approved a request from Lifeblood, that's the blood bank, to allow gay men to donate blood after three months since they last had sex rather than the virtually prohibitive 12 months, which was a kind of impossible time to wait. This is obviously an improvement, but we really want that uh, deferral period reduced even further or even eliminated. Why is this so important, especially during the current pandemic? There was a shortage of blood donations with people staying at home. That improved after a call out and cancellation of elective surgery, but that could uh, pop up again, particularly now that elective surgery is going to start up again. And what's been the state government's response to your request? Haven't heard from the state government yet, uh, but you know I'm optimistic and I, I think both state and federal governments uh, will approve this. I hope they do. And um, But I think also we should encourage Lifeblood, the Red Cross Blood Service, to go further and and further reduce the barriers to gay men donating because times have changed since 30 years ago uh, and we need to uh, reduce as many barriers as possible to gay men to participate in, in community life. Are you surprised this isn't on Daniel Andrews' government's agenda? I mean, if they haven't responded or made any noises, it doesn't seem that this is, you know, above the radar for them. Look, I, I think it probably isn't on their radar. Uh, to be fair, they've got one or two other things on their hands at the moment. Nevertheless, this is something that, that shouldn't be too hard. In fact, uh, assuming the state government does approve this, and I think they will, uh, what we need now is for lifeblood to do some more work about how could gay men uh, donate blood at any time with regard to having sex rather than having to wait three months, which is still going to be far too long for for uh, a great majority. So, um, and, and the important point here is that donations are tested using tests for things like HIV and hepatitis, which are many times more sensitive than they were when these rules were brought in decades ago. And so the risk of transmitting these infections to people getting blood donations is now um, virtually zero. So we should take advantage of this and think about ways of perhaps changing the questionnaire because some heterosexual people are at increased risk of transmitting hepatitis B, for example. Others probably have HIV. And rather than determining who can give blood based on the gender of their sexual partner, go further into their individual circumstances and their individual risk. You mentioned the state government's response to COVID-19. How would you rate their response? What do they need to do better? Uh, well, look, overall, we, we support uh, almost everything they've done. I think when we look back, we'll, we'll, most of us would agree that the national borders should have been closed sooner. Now, that's more of a federal government decision, but the, the states and, and uh, Canberra are working together in a national cabinet. Um, and, you know, when the state health minister was critical of a doctor for flying back from America and going to work with um, COVID symptoms, that was probably the time to start quarantining everybody who got off the plane from the United States. But it's easy to be wise in hindsight, and I, I think that uh, most of the state government's decisions have been justifiable. Going forward, uh, what I'm really uh, interested to see is how they'll be spending this $24 billion they're borrowing um, in, in rebuilding our economy. I'm keen to see that uh, we prioritise building an economy of the future that's not dependent on you know, coal and gas-fired electricity and not dependent on building big motorways, um, and it's something that's decarbonised and clean and future-focused. You mentioned the federal government's response to the pandemic and uh, some of the ships that got in. Let's take the Ruby Princess, for example. Did Peter Dutton, as Home Affairs Minister, make a grave error in allowing 
uh, that ship to dock and people to get off in Sydney? Uh, well, the, the, the short answer is that was a grave error. Look, precisely who's responsible, I think, will become clear with the inquiry. Um, and, uh, you know, but also I feel as though um, I don't think the response to the pandemic is a time to be giving any individual a kick because we've, we've just never had to deal with this before. As a doctor, I, I take the approach that's applied in hospitals when things go wrong. It's not about blame. It's about having a really clear understanding and making sure it doesn't happen again. Um, and clearly, you know, we've already learned some lessons out of the Ruby Princess, but let's just hope that uh, uh, that lesson's not forgotten. Tim Reid, thank you so much for talking to me on 3CR today. Pleasure, James.
Sarah Washington there with her awesome take on Wham's Careless Whisper. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. We also had the waifs in there, flesh and blood. While Neil Farrow is a former political candidate who's now turned his resources to activism. And earlier this week, I spoke to him from rural New South Wales, where he's doing social isolation. Look, I'm uh, actually lucky uh, in that my, I'm the carer for my mum. So I've uh, moved for isolation up to the New South Wales far south coast. So I'm looking after her and my lovely little dog. Um, but at least it's a little bit warmer than Melbourne's winter up here at the moment. So it's not too bad, but like everyone, avoiding our physical distancing and doing what we can. And how is it in a rural area with social isolation? Uh, Look, it's quite interesting down here, I think mainly because services are much harder to come by. So, you know, um, it's... There's just less people around, but uh, it does give you a bit more space. And it's nice being out of an apartment for this period of time where we have to stay at home. It's it's nice to have a, a full-size house to uh, to call home. Neil, what's your response to the federal government's uh, handling of the pandemic? Look, I think the federal government's um, followed the advice of people like the chief medical officer and a number of others um, in doing this. I think they should have done things a little bit earlier. Had they shut our borders just that little bit sooner, I think we would have been able to respond to things a little bit quicker. Um, so, But generally speaking, I think all of the, the national cabinet has been doing the right thing along with our state premiers and, and chief ministers. What's your response to some of the ships that were allowed to uh, dock and uh, passengers allowed to disembark? I'm thinking of the Ruby Princess, where, you know, so many infections have resulted as a consequence of that action. Well, look, I'm quite critical of um, both the New South Wales and the federal government, and I think I posted something online over the Ruby Princess. I think that ship shouldn't have been able to dock in those circumstances, and, and I think whoever let it through should definitely be held to account for that, given the circumstances that we're in. The other side of it is, you know, where is the responsibility of the cruise operator knowing that there were instances on board and and instead of trying to find or fix or help those people, they were just trying to offload them as quickly as they could. So, you know, I think the the Royal Commission or the Commission of Inquiry is a great start and I just hope the federal and New South Wales governments cooperate so we don't have to repeat that ever again. Speaking of inquiries, IBAC here in Victoria has released its uh, report, its response in relation to uh, the hares and hyenas raid. They said police didn't use excessive force. What are your thoughts on that? Look, in any instance, whether you're guilty or innocent, if you're being arrested, you shouldn't deserve to have your arm or shoulder shattered. So I don't think there's any circumstance which warrants police in any form of arrest Um, irrelevant of the circumstances, um, shattering somebody's arm and and shoulder in those instances. And and I think it was very, um, very unconstructive for the Secretary of the Police Association of Victoria to say that the LGBTI community has been an opportunist because this agenda suited us. So I think, you know, it's the double impact of nobody should ever have their arm shattered in an arrest in any circumstances, let alone uh, an LGBTI community, which has been persecuted by the police for for decades in Victoria and globally, as have other communities of minority. And then to have the police association come out and say that we're being opportunist as an LGBTI community is is more insult to injury and very disappointed with the IBAC finding, as said, on the fundamental premise that anybody who's been arrested should never have their arms shattered let alone a community that has had such a historically rough um, stretch of of issues with the police going back to the tasty raids in Victoria and and continuing to today. What can you tell us about the makeup of IBAC? Was this a political stitch-up? Did this decision happen because of political machinations rather than just on the substance of the matter? Look, unfortunately, um, I don't actually know that much. I should probably, but I don't actually know how IBAC is made up or or the terms and references. But um, from what I am aware, it is fairly independent. So, you know, I'm disappointed in IBAC's findings, um, generally speaking, but respect that if it was independent, um, that it found its its reasoning as a result. With that said, I think, you know, the there is a call for the action of governments in Victoria, both around IBAC and the um, critical incident response team, over the fact that such excessive force was used um, and the checks and balances clearly haven't worked in these circumstances. On another matter, Malcolm Turnbull's memoir was released this week. Of course, it was leaked last week. What does all the leaking tell us about the divisions within the Liberal Party that seem to exist still? 
despite this crisis. Always find it interesting in the Liberal Party um, who are very quick to point out that the Labor Party has factions. I think in the Liberal Party, it's more of personality cults. And, and you've got to look in Victoria as they're recruiting from very extremist religious groups that we're only going to see that turn for the worst. But, you know, I think it's a bit um, a bit hard on the LGBTI community for Malcolm Turnbull to rewrite history now that he's out of politics. Um, but it is interesting that much of his memoir was released prior to, and I'd be curious to see who's doing that leaking. Absolutely. So what can you tell us about the uh, Prime Minister's revisionism in relation to same-sex marriage, to marriage equality? Look, I think the most interesting thing is everybody knows that Malcolm Turnbull and the Liberal Party could have made marriage equality infinitely easier for the LGBTI and general community. Um, so, you know, that's the first point of his revisionism over, you know, he is not the saviour of the LGBTI community. Not only that, I think the failure to recognise that um, the movement, not just for marriage equality, but for LGBTI liberation and LGBTI civil and political rights has existed for decades. Um, and so while marriage equality is kind of one of the um, achievements of, of decades and lifetimes of campaigning and advocacy, I think there's a number of other people who should also be sharing in that credit. And, and in particular, there's a number of other wins that we still need to have and, and have had in the past. You know, the religious discrimination laws are coming up. If Malcolm Turnbull's genuinely supportive of the LGBTI community, why isn't he coming out strongly against things like that? Um, so, you know, while it's important to bank marriage equality, there's still a number of issues facing the LGBTI community, not least currently our current crisis around COVID and how that will disproportionately affect the community. And um, I think the community's tired of sort of Johnny-come-lately friends who come for the uh, the benefits and the shiny stuff, but forget about the hard work and, and won't support us when we really need it. What are some of the particular issues for the LGBTIQ community in relation to the COVID-19 epidemic? Look, I think any um, community that's um, a minority community is amplified whenever there's issues, both from a health or a pandemic or, or a recession or a depression nature. So, you know, um, let alone the fact that our a large portion of our community has been identified and defined by our sexual liberation and sexual identity, um, not being able to have that freely available as, as a great many people um, can't during COVID. So, you know, there's there's issues around sex and, and issues around relationships. There's issues around whether it's safe to come out if you're trapped at home. You know, there's stories of people who are being forced out because of the close circumstances and, and the lack of support networks. Through to the strain on mental health and homelessness um, and the fact that particularly sort of the trans and intersex community in our, in our rainbow spectrum um, is at a risk of, of even more concerns in this space. So, you know, I think COVID um, is going to be really challenging for us as a community, let alone with religious discrimination and other things coming down the pipe as well. You mentioned homelessness. There is an inquiry in Victoria into homelessness. You must be welcoming that. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, we really need to think more systemically around homelessness in Australia and, and have a look at some of the examples overseas where giving people homes actually saves the government money in the longer term. And, and we might need to consider that as an outcome going forward. But, you know, an inquiry and an independent inquiry is a first step in, in, in looking at new solutions in that space. What about some of the bailouts that are occurring uh, in relation to the pandemic? Uh, what's your response? Do the bailouts go far enough? Uh, are they adequately addressing the needs of disadvantaged people? Look, I am always concerned when conservative governments undertake bailouts because their natural inclination is to focus on businesses rather than individual people. And, you know, while we've seen some positive steps in the right direction in Australia, we still overwhelmingly see that bailouts and government support is going to business on a broken premise of sort of a trickle-down economic impact as opposed to, you know, handing money out in the mail. You know, to contra this to another example, we, we hear about, you know, the need for stimulus and, and the economic downturn we're facing. When um, Julia Gillard and Wayne Swan were in government, we all received a cheque in the mail within a week or two. Um, as it stands at the moment, most of the people promised benefits from the federal government are still weeks away from getting that cheque and we're five or six weeks into a pandemic. So, you know, I think the government could have responded quicker and it should be responding more to individuals as opposed to businesses and companies. Political activist Neil Farrow there. You are on In Your Face on 3CR and here's Porter's head. Glory box. Playing, playing with this bow. 
Yeah, I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR.
Joker. We also had Queen of Japan in there with their take on Kisses I Was Made for Loving You. And here's Prince, Sign of the Times.
light, neighbors should shine at home. But if a night falls and a bomb falls, will everybody see the dawn time?
Wham there. With the extended mix of freedom, I am out of here. Jacob is up next for the Friday Rave. Thanks heaps to our guests this week, Dr. Tim Reed and Neil Farrow. Taking us out is The Cure with Wrong Number, and we'll catch you next week on In Your Face.
sorry, wrong number. would like to thank Thornhubber Health for their financial support of this program. Thornhubber Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities. A future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more about them, search Thornhubber Health on your search engine or find them on Facebook. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.